As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Tell me if this sounds familiar. He'll get into the office, and it'll be something like 8.30 in the morning or 9 o'clock in the morning. Here's Chris Edgar. And everything will seem to be going okay. You know, he'll be plugging along at his work, and he'll be able to get about half an hour of fully focused work in. But after that half an hour starts to roll around, then he starts to get this nagging curiosity in the back of his mind about whether there's anything interesting or important in his email inbox. And if he leaves that alone, if he doesn't do anything about it, it starts to intensify into a physical discomfort. So he actually starts to feel a little bit of discomfort in his chest. And if he leaves it for longer, it starts to turn into a little bit of pain and some tightness. It's almost like a shortness of breath for him. It feels like an emergency. It feels like, oh my God, am I going to survive if I don't check my email? I mean, it feels like a really serious situation to him in the moment. And so, of course, what does he do? To get rid of that feeling of tension, he goes off and checks his email. 
And that has the effect of relieving that tightness for him, of scratching that itch that's going on inside him. So the problem that my friend is having is not that he doesn't know enough of these techniques for time management and organization. The problem that he's having is that he can't seem to follow them in practice because disruptive thoughts and feelings come up as he's trying to get his work done. So in his case, it's a burning curiosity about his email. But all of us have experienced this, I think, with one kind of thought or feeling or another. Whether it's Slack or email or some other form of notification, the hundreds that we get an hour, I think this is something that we all deal with. And this all affects our productivity. So I'd like to welcome you to our series on productivity. This is our first episode, and this is the problem we're going to be diving into for the next five episodes. So if you can't seem to get away from this or this, we have got some ideas that just might help. Welcome to Rocketship.fm podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Mike Belsito. And I'm Joelle Goldman. How will we all keep busy when we only work 15 hours a week? This was a question that actually worried economist John Maynard Keynes when he wrote his essay, Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren, in 1930. Over the next century, he predicted that the economy would become so productive that people would barely need to work at all. In 1930, the average work week stayed put. It hovered just below 40 hours for nearly five decades. So how did Keynes get it so wrong? Why are people working so much, if not more, than they did in 1970 or 1930? There are a lot of answers to this question, and it's far more complex than we can address in a 20-minute podcast. Economic pressures like hourly wages stagnating while cost of living rises, income inequality gaps widening far beyond his imagination, and perhaps the drive of most people to always seek more, to do better, and to improve their situation in life, not simply be satisfied with their basic needs met like food, shelter, and clothing. question we want to answer here really isn't about why we're all working so much, but why we're seemingly obsessed with being maximally productive while doing that work. Why do Apple's and Google's App Store have so many productivity tools that they warrant their own category? Services like note-taking apps, brainstorming tools, calendar assistance, apps like self-control, omnifocus, rescue time, freedom, productivity solutions for every niche have become a requisite. This episode is brought to you by Yahoo Finance. Wouldn't it be great if you could see all of your investment and retirement accounts in one place? With Yahoo Finance, you can consolidate your views with multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Honestly, this has been a lifesaver for me. I've used Yahoo Finance to consolidate all of my various 401k and investment accounts so I can see everything all in one place. And it makes it incredibly easy to manage. So if you're struggling with that, check out Yahoo Finance. 
For over 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart a great investor. And that's how Yahoo Finance ensures that you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. So go to yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. While Keynes was right about the fact that technological advances would be vast and fast and unlike anything humanity has ever seen, he couldn't have it predicted the ways it has and continues to change our lives. We may work the same hours as someone in 1970, but it's not about the hours. They were on a whole far more content with punching the clock, coming home at the end of the day. They weren't obsessed with every task that did or did not get done. And they could let those tasks wait until tomorrow. We, on the other hand, never stop working. We're connected all the time through our phones, laptops, apps, etc. There's not a clear work and life in line anymore. It's blurry, it's messy, and it's increasingly noisy, more pervasive, and more demanding. Here's productivity guru and coach David Allen from his TED Talk on stress-free productivity. The whole world now is allowed into your psyche. You now get to experience all the stuff you would, could, should, need to, might, ought to, all the stuff piling up in your in-baskets and emails while I'm speaking right now, all of that now floods into your psyche. And that can easily create a sense of overwhelm, a sense of confusion, a sense of conflict. Every single thing seems to demand equal kind of attention for you. And then you usually respond to that by either numbing out or getting into crazy busy. We all know this feeling. It's why there's hundreds of apps seeking to ease this pain. We're either trying to accomplish more things in the same amount of time or accomplish the same amount of things in less time. But either way, it's a daily struggle for most of us. It's why we're so eager to use these tools to help alleviate that pain. Productivity apps facilitate the pleasure of time management, which is ultimately the pleasure of control. They're selling the opportunity to not feel that way. In technology design, the ultimate user experience hinges on securing the state of uninhibited flow as quickly as possible. techniques reflects an environment in which work has spilled over from the office to the train to the airport to the hotel room and most importantly to the bed how many times in the last month have you been on your phone or your laptop while you're laying in bed to just get one more thing done or just check that one notification that came in from slack 
that just can't wait till tomorrow. Productivity tools offer a way to combat this, to protect you from the lack of clear beginning and endings of the work day. Whether you're clocking hours or you're just your output, there is no clear nine to five anymore. It is whenever you wake up to whenever you go to sleep. Now, I know we are the generation that is to embrace technology, to embrace the open and distributed workforce, but there are complications that come with this, and we need to be aware. We need to be cognizant that every decision we make will have consequences, both positive and negative, and that's what this productivity craze is really built out of. For professionals today, productivity apps take the place of the secretary in managing social traffic and organizing life's logistics. Ironically, these personal productivity innovations have appeared as knowledge jobs and became impossible to measure on old metrics of time and location. Productivity software arrived in tandem with a managerial call to do more with less, or in other words, work smarter, not harder. The mutually reinforcing appeal of productivity in HR and IT departments is that fewer resources are required for a job. If workers can be encouraged to demonstrate their own efficiency, to see this as a badge of honor, this weakens the collective demands for more colleagues to share the load. In the subculture of productivity, it's the aesthetics of activity that becomes the guiding principle for charting a course that feels something like a career and a purpose. And perhaps even more importantly, there's this hope of control. And the productivity industry offers the promise that users can reclaim ownership over their time in today's always-on workplace. This obsession with productivity actually goes far beyond the workplace and is really more of a cultural shift in what we value. Fast Company puts out issues entirely dedicated to glorifying the most productive people. Lifehacker brings the same mentality to personal productivity with endless articles on life hacks. Productivity isn't just about work anymore. It's about hacking every piece of our personal and daily lives to be more efficient with the time that we have and the goal of having a better overall life experience. Here's David Allen again. Let me give you a little secret. Getting things done is not about getting things done. It's really about being appropriately engaged with what's going on. We'll be right back with our personal thoughts on productivity right after a quick word from our sponsors. Now back to the show. When you can optimize your life and actually accomplish more in the same amount of time that it used to take to do fewer things, it can be powerful, it can be wonderful. Being more productive can help you ensure that you don't miss your daughter's soccer game because you're too busy trying to get a critical project out the door. Gone are the days of the madmen who routinely work till 12 a.m starting again at 6 a.m. and rarely see their family. Between the ability to work remotely and the tools that we have today that technology has provided, while we may never be off, we do have the ability to get out of the office and watch our children's soccer game. And these are things that can make you feel better, more fulfilled, more happy. But there's another reason you can feel happy about making that soccer game or enjoying those happy hour drinks. A recent study by the Social Market Foundation and the University of Warwick Center for Competitive Advantage in Global Economy show that being happier actually makes you even more productive at work. The cycle can go on and on and on, and this is a cycle that actually benefits you. Well, we're not psychologists, 
and we can't provide a clear answer on exactly why productivity as a cultural shift has taken such deep roots. Doing this research has made us think about our own productivity and our own routines. How have we been thinking about productivity? What do we struggle with? What might be possible if we can find ways to be more productive? Now, I have to admit, I've had to keep an open mind during this. Productivity has never been a priority for me. Creativity has always been that priority. And I've always found myself chasing those moments when I feel highly inspired and creative to make something. And those are the times when I walk away feeling proud of something that I've created. And I know that my work has a huge variance in quality depending on if I feel incredibly inspired to do it or if I'm doing it because it's a task that I need to get done. So I try to balance my day and leave time open for that creative work. And creative work could be, you know, design or podcasting. It could also be something more creative on a business side, maybe a partnership or a negotiation that's ongoing. Even those, I know that I have highs and and lows in terms of motivation and creativity in figuring out a solution for it. And I, I use that ebb and flow to do some of the more menial tasks, the tasks that I don't really want to do, but I know I need to do. I do those in between those creative and inspirational bursts. I find that prioritizing those creative bursts allows me to take advantage of that time when I know I'm going to do great work. I don't have a system for it. That burst does not come at 3 p.m. every day. Sometimes it's 11 at night. Sometimes it's 4 in the morning. Sometimes it's 2 in the afternoon. I know that when I start to get into that mode that I need to take advantage of it. And if I don't, if I'm interrupted, if I prioritize something else, I lose that essential time. And for me, oftentimes productivity and taskless have been the antithesis of what I've tried to create for myself. I try to let tasks come up throughout the day. And if they show their head enough times, I'll take care of them. So unlike Michael, I'm actually really big on making lists. And a main reason is that I find context switching really taxing. So I'm spread really thin between a lot of competing forces for my time and my mental energy working on rocket ship, churn buster, family obligations, other things that come up in life like a house remodel, a baby on the way, finding time to carve out for myself and my health every day. There's always something competing for mental space in my head. And keeping track of all that in my head is doable, but it's really not a smart thing to do because all those things take up a little bit of space. And what you're left with is kind of an inability to focus deeply on any given task that you're working on at that moment. The more I keep in my head, the less white space I have to actually devote to working deeply on something or focusing on an important conversation that I'm having that requires kind of a thoughtful consideration to really do it right. And so for me, keeping lists means getting all those things out of my brain, put somewhere else so I don't have to think about them, and then I can really focus in a mindful way on what I'm working on at that moment. So that might sound super basic and old school. Um, To-do lists have been around a lot longer than I have. 
But I think a theme you'll see come up throughout this series is kind of a back to basics lesson. We're not machines and to get the best balance of quality and quantity, we need to understand what drives us forward and what holds us back. For me, this series is coming at the perfect time, the beginning of the year, because when it comes to productivity, I definitely wouldn't say that I have the perfect system or I'm optimized at peak levels. I'd like to be, and with what I have going on professionally, I sort of have to be. So I'm hoping that the new year could maybe encourage me to take on some better, more productive habits. And I know, it's a bit cliche, the new year's resolution, but when I said I sort of had to be more productive, I wasn't joking. Here's everything I have going on. Most of my time, it's taken up with my full-time job, Product Collective. This is a company I co-founded with a friend of mine. I'm the only full-time employee, and both he and his wife are part-time. So needless to say, there's a lot to get done. We're busy planning our conference industry. We're trying to grow our audience. We're planning two webinars every month, releasing a newsletter each week, writing guest posts, appearing on podcasts, and recently we even started writing a book. There's a lot to manage, but that's not it. I also teach entrepreneurship at Case Western Reserve University. It's just one class. It meets twice a week for an hour and a half, but I'm planning the curriculum, arranging guest speakers, preparing for lectures, and there's this podcast. I mean, this is a ton of fun, but it also takes time. Often the only quiet time I have to record is at night. It's 10.45 p.m. as I speak right now. I have to make a concerted effort to seek out guests, interview, coordinate those interviews, take the time to record personal thoughts to share when necessary, Those three things, they're actually not the only things I have going on. I serve on a couple of advisory boards, help the city where I live with entrepreneurial initiatives. And oh yes, I have two young kids, a wife who's just as busy as I am, a home to maintain, my health, which is in check for now, but being in my mid-30s, it could go off the rails if I ignore things like wellness and exercise. Now, I share all of this not to make myself seem awesome. Believe me, sometimes it doesn't feel so awesome, but Rather than having one job where I work for somebody and earn a paycheck, my life has become more of a portfolio of work, some of which requires more time than others. The thing is, with this portfolio approach, it requires a lot more focus. I have to ensure I'm not letting one part of my life slip when I'm focusing on another. And without a real boss, so to speak, it's up to me to make sure I'm producing at a level that I could be proud of. To be really, really honest with you, I don't think I do a very good job of this today, but like I said, I not only want to do better, I need to do better. And I'm really, really hoping that this series can help me better adapt with this new professional portfolio approach that my life has sort of taken on. In the next four episodes of the series, we're going to be bringing you a variety of stories that we hope will help you on your quest to become more productive on a personal level, on a professional level, and even on a leadership level. We have every tool at our disposal to help us achieve a more productive life, but it's not all about the tools. It's about lifestyle changes and changes that you can maintain. And that's what we're going to focus on for the rest of the series. From the practices of individuals to company culture to techniques for mental focus, physical workspace changes, like most things, it's a holistic effort. And we're going to look at what the experts are doing, saying, and practicing. 
Big thanks to our sponsor today, Bench. Bench is the easiest and, dare I say, coolest way to have your bookkeeping done. Get your bookkeeping done with Bench and focus on building your business. Go to bench.com forward slash rocket ship and you'll get 20% off the first six months with Bench. If you haven't yet, subscribe. If you made it this far, I know you're getting value. So just hit subscribe so you don't miss the rest of the productivity series. You can also go back and check out our previous series on growth and product and funding and sales. You can get those wherever you're listening to this podcast. It's all in the feed. You can go to rocketship.fm. You can follow us on Twitter at rocketshipfm. You can follow me at Michael Saka. You can follow Joel at Joel Goldman. And you can follow Mike Belsito at Belsito. This episode today was written by Joel Goldman. So if you've enjoyed it, give her a shout out on Twitter and let her know. We'll see you back here in just a couple days.